Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of State of the Art. I'm your host, Andrew Herman. And if this is your first time here, let me tell you a little bit about what we're doing. We're talking about art technology and the intersection between them. But mostly, we want to talk about why you should care about this stuff. I've been on both sides of this coin as a startup founder, an engineer, a creative, and I'm just fascinated by the world where art and technology overlap. So I'll be talking to artists, collectors, CEOs, and founders, anybody who has any perspective on this world I want to talk to. This week, we're reaching into our archives because when Ethan Appleby was hosting, if any of you have been around long enough to remember that, he had a really cool interview that we wanted to make sure we got to air. He interviewed a guy by the name of Travis Urig from a company called Curio Cards. He was the founder of Curio Cards. Travis is a longtime Bay Area Bitcoin activist who has produced countless educational, professional, and social events promoting the use of the digital currency. In 2017, he released his blockchain-based collectible Curio Cards. They're limited edition art cards that are purchased with Bitcoin. For today's episode, Ethan talked to Travis about what exactly a Curio Card is, why it has intrinsic value, the ways in which the cryptocurrency can solve chronic problems in the digital art world, and the future of crypto art. So please help me welcome Ethan Appleby. Welcome, Travis Urig. Travis, it is great to have you on the podcast. I'm I'm excited because this is definitely a topic that I know little about. So I'm gonna I'm gonna learn a lot today and ask a ton of questions. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a very new sort of uh, entry into the art world in a lot of ways. Yeah. So what is a curio card? So a curio card, the, the idea is that you have, it's all kind of came out of Bitcoin and crypto, you know, currency and this kind of new technology called blockchain. And it lets you create rare, unique digital objects, a digital object that you can't counterfeit or copy or duplicate. And yeah, you know, that's very special because, you know, MP3 file, a, a JPEG image, I can just make copies of that endlessly. Yeah. But you have these digital objects that generally called tokens or coins that are unique and rare and special. So what we did was we took that technology and we embedded artwork into it and we'd call that a card. Yeah. Is there a way to explain blockchain in like <laughs> 90 seconds for people listening? Have you practiced that? Oh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, this, is, this has changed over the years. The, uh, the Just something for like people yeah. listening who kind of have heard of it but have no idea. Blockchain's sort of main innovation, what makes it special was the it removed sort of the need for middlemen in kind of value transactions. If I'm sending money from point A to point B, there's generally always somebody in the middle who verifies and says, yes, the money has moved between point A and point B. You have your PayPal, Venmo, Visa, you know, uh, Washington Mutual, you know, whatever the whatever your bank is. I mean, I, I can give you a $10 bill in person. Um, but you know, even then that's backed up by the US government, it says that this is an actual note of value. And there's really no way that you can send value without that central authority before Bitcoin. And so it's big, the big breakthrough with blockchain is it let us have the ability to send, I can send you $10. And it's verified that I sent you that $10 by a network of people, thousands of people all around the world, instead of one central entity. And anyone could be one of those thousand people. Anyone can stop being one of those thousand people and anybody can start being one of those thousand people. It doesn't really matter. You don't have to trust them. They are all verifying each other's work. And if the numbers don't add up correctly, it's an invalid transaction. And that's just the way it is. It's protected by the math kind of of the pro the protocol itself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and each sort of, I mean, in this case, 
a Bitcoin has like a unique identifier, mm-hmm. which is how you know, and that's on like a public ledger, so people can sort of verify that's right. That's real. And so that's how that's all that a blockchain is. It's a ledger. Yeah. I mean, if you ever done like accounting one hundred and one classes, or if you you know look at talk to your accountant at your at your office, uh, everything's done in a ledger, just a, a book that says money in, money out, credit and debit. And all the blockchain is, it's one of those very old school technology, only it's not kept in one place. It's not kept in an accountant's drawer or on a QuickBooks server. It's kept by thousands of people all around the world. And they all kind of make sure that they have the same copy at all times. Okay. And so so Bitcoin is, is an application from like a currency perspective and there's others. Mm-hmm. Blockchain is the underlying technology. Why... Why, how did blockchain come into the art world or vice versa? And like, why, why does that matter? It sort of started off or because they say Bitcoin was sort of the first, it was the first thing that took use of blockchain technology. Interesting enough, when Bitcoin was first created, the word blockchain didn't really exist yet. Yeah, but at a certain point, people said, hey, this technology does amazing th- things outside of just currency. We could use it for other things. What should we call the technology? And so they, they invented the term blockchain. Uh, kind of describing how it works okay. at a technical level. So originally, artists would get involved with blockchain by using Bitcoin as a payment system. I'd sell art for Bitcoin. You know, I'll sell you a, p- a painting for like a physical piece. Yeah, I'll yeah. sell you a physical piece for you know a Bitcoin, and maybe that's like tw- you know fifty bucks at the time or something, or two hundred dollars, something like that. And and that's what they would just they would use it the same way any other merchant would use it, or any other any anybody else would use it, just as a form a way of accepting payment. And that's how it started. Then you started having people who would do art about Bitcoin as well. Like it wasn't just like a generic artwork or not generic, but it wasn't just artwork about whatever they were interested in. But it was it was actually about Bitcoin itself, and that was really cool because uh, that was that was brand new. We'd never had kind of people, you know. So it'd be like what, like the logo of kind of like the Bitcoin yeah, logo, like a riff on a logo, yeah. or. Um, there's sort of kind of there's a couple of memes in Bitcoin. These sort of like sayings that people have, okay. you know, uh, like there's something called HODL, which is a misspelling of the word hold, and it essentially means like don't sell your Bitcoin, like hold on, hold on, um, HODL hard, you know, like really kind of hold on to your Bitcoin, don't sell, don't sell. It's I'm taking I'm taking notes. <laughs> it's one of the earliest memes in Bitcoin. Uh, it's even got a backronym now. Like people say it actually stands for hang on for dear life, which is not true. That's not where it came from. But it describes it quite quite well because wow. the price swings so wildly; it goes way up, and then it goes way down. And when it's in a when it's diving, everyone's on the internet's going hodl hodl. You know, it's gonna be okay. Uh, Got it. So okay. people would do art about that. They'd have the word hodl done in like a three D object or you know on a painting, and they'd sell that for Bitcoin. And then from there, what happens? From there, the idea was: well, why can't we use this technology directly to help artists as opposed to just using it like anybody else is using it? Because uh, at the end of the day, it really comes down to asset management. It sounds kind of very, you know, corporate and, and cold and, and not artistic, but art, moving art around, it's really just asset management, uh, inventory tracking, et cetera. And blockchain's really, really good at that. I mean, what is the blockchain but a ledger that tracks, you know, w- where all the Bitcoin are in the world? So if I could actually apply that to art directly. So then you had companies like VerisArt, they came out. And what they would do is- They've been that, on the show. Oh, they have. Oh, yeah. great. Yeah. As your listeners are aware, they kind of can track an artist's provenance back to when it was yeah. created, a kind of a chain of custody. Yeah. And attaching that to a physical piece. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, the tracking itself is done on a decentralized network. So it's very low cost, but the piece is still physical. Um, it's a fascinating evolution. I mean, yeah. I see where you're going. Okay. Yeah. And so from there. Well, from there, 
the idea became, well, why, you know, why can't we just use it for digital? You know, like, let's drop the physical part for, for a moment, see, see what we can do. And uh, at the time, I looked around and there were really a whole lot of projects doing that. There was something called Pepe Cash that was doing it. And they were sort of like a uh, meme project. There's, there's this meme called Pepe. He's like a, a frog who, who says inappropriate things. And people trade images of him saying these things. And it's it's kind of gotten a bad name in the press. You know, it's associated with the alt-right, but it's it's not that. It's so much more than that. Uh, it's just this one small group that essentially was trolling the media. Like they were pretending to be very alt-right and the media took ran with that. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's, a very, it's one of the oldest memes on the internet. It's been around for for years. It's covered a lot of different things, okay. and so there was Pepe. Um, but outside of that, there weren't a whole lot of projects. Um, so I, I back up a little bit. About four years ago, there was the Bitcoin Art Fair in yeah. San Francisco. Okay, and the um, first, as far as I'm aware, the first Bitcoin Art Fair. As, and I would love if somebody could correct me on this. Uh, as far as I'm aware, this was the first Bitcoin art show. Um, and this is about four years ago in San Francisco and over this place called 20 Mission. And they had artists kind of work about Bitcoin or selling for Bitcoin. And then about two years later, we did Proof of Art, which was the San Francisco Bitcoin Meetup Group. Um, me and another artist, Crypto Graffiti, we put this together. And it was a another, it was a physical art show as well. We had Bitcoin artists, people who made their art about blockchain, about Bitcoin. And Verisart actually spoke at that as well. The CEO mm -hmm. spoke at that event. And then about a year later, the question became, well, we should do something again. We should, we should do something with, crypt, with crypto art again. But I wanted to do it online. So this is like 2016? This is last year. Oh, last year. Okay. So, so this is two years ago was, was proof of yeah. art. So last year, um, the idea came, let's, let's try something else. And I got talking with some friends, um, uh, some, you know, friends, uh, Thomas Hunt, he has a, uh, a podcast called Matt Bitcoins. And then, uh, that also then turned into like the World Crypto Network, and mm -hmm. he does a, a new show about Bitcoin and blockchain. And another friend of mine, Rhett Creighton, he is a developer. He's created a couple coins, um, and we decided to try and create a digital artwork. You know, try to put art onto an Ethereum token, put it put it into you know an asset. So the artwork is the token. It doesn't represent the token. It's not tied to the token. It doesn't track. Oh, sorry, not token. It isn't tied to the artwork. It doesn't track the artwork. It is the artwork. Huh. So we did a set of 30 cards. This was like a curated art show, just yeah. like we'd done the year before. We picked the artists that we liked. Um, people would reach out to us. A couple ones, we just liked how they looked, so we said sure. And we ended up releasing 30 different cards, which is just our term for the the art piece. Yeah, it's like a canvas. Yeah. You'd have a canvas. Exactly. It was like a standardized yeah. canvas size. Yeah. Uh, the card, it was all the kind of standardized code. It was an, essentially just an Ethereum uh, token contract with artwork embedded inside of it. So we did 30 of those over the course. So like we do like one or th one to three a week, we'd release a new one. Mm -hmm. Like like three three every week, release new ones. And these look like, I mean, if someone's trying to imagine, this is, it's not a, it's an artwork. It's like a digital image. If you're yeah. looking at a picture on your computer. It's yeah. an artwork by an artist. Yeah. It's just a impressionist graffiti mm -hmm. style street portrait. I mean, it could be any of those. Okay. Yeah. We definitely, a lot of the artwork there, they, there was about Bitcoin. Yeah. But we had uh, two or three artists that didn't reference Bitcoin at all or Ethereum at all. They were just their own unique style. And yeah, it's just a JPEG. And, and Ethereum is, is another currency built on blockchain. Yeah. Ethereum. It's one of the, it's the second biggest one after Bitcoin. It's, um, 
very similar to Bitcoin from a technical perspective, but it has kind of a different take. It's a bit more flexible with what you can do with it. This that's another episode. We'll, yeah. We can dive into that, <laughs> the mechanics of that. But yeah. Um, okay. So with this card, it's just a JPEG or a PNG image file and you can right click, download, save the image. But the idea is that's just a reproduction. That's not the artwork. The artwork is the token. If you actually have and hold and own the card itself. Got it. And so that's, I mean, that's the kind of thing that you need to wrap your head around. Yes. Because it is interesting. I mean, where, you know, a physical art piece, you could actually take a picture of it and like that would be a reproduction. It wouldn't mm -hmm. actually be the real one. And maybe you could blow it up. But like this is, there's only the one that you hold. Mm -hmm. And how is that verified? How do I know that I've copied? It's verified the same way uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum is verified. You just look at it and you can see this is where it came from. You know, there's it's not duplicate. Uh, there's these things called like uh, block explorers on online where you can, uh, the network verifies it automatically. I mean, there's really no way to have a counterfeit Bitcoin. Yeah. You can steal Bitcoin from somebody, but I have to like, you know, physically go and take it from their phone or something. But you can't counterfeit Bitcoin the same way you could counterfeit a US dollar. Yeah. It, it's by definition, it's verified. It just it always is verified. That's that's how it exists. It exists in a verified state automatically. Got it. Yeah. So like a physical piece where there's only one and maybe someone could steal it physically somebody could recreate, I mean, repaint mm -hmm. it or whatever. I mean, same kind of applies here, but at the end of the day, only the one, the person who holds the actual card is the one who has that. So that's where, that's where the, yeah. the value comes from. Yeah. We like the idea of, of if you put it entirely on digital, you can solve a lot of problems. It comes when you're trying to manage a digital, a physical asset digitally. So if you have like a physical asset and then there's a digital tracking method for it that tracking method like let's say let's say it's a token that tracks the artwork um they're 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 disconnected somebody has to say that they're connected so let's go let's just talk for a second about it is so digital artwork has been around for a long time yes. digitally created work and you know there's what there's like deviant art is one of the largest mm -hmm. sort of um marketplaces for digital art i mean and it exists other places but there's always been a challenge i mean part of the challenge has been with that is sort of the ability to reproduce it, right? As well as monetize it. Yeah. I mean, how do you sell an image, a digital image file? You yeah. can't, not in any meaningful way. Um, yeah. And I mean, for, photography, you could say is could be similar and then they're like printed, but then they're sort of like signed by the artist and they're kind of like brought from nowadays a digital um, realm into, into the physical realm. But it's like the signature or the, you know, original one. And the addition is sorry. What yeah, I'm that, to that's say. generally how you would monetize your digital artwork is you print it out, you make it yeah. physical. Um, digital artists do this all the time. They'll go to like like Comic Con conventions, for instance. You'll see an artist selling prints. Yeah, they'll have like three hundred of some artwork they created, and the artwork was entirely created on their computer. Yeah, then they created high resolution printouts of three uh, thirty uh, three hundred of them, something like that. Yeah, they numbered each one. Yep, maybe sign them, maybe not. Doesn't really, the signature isn't necessarily required. Just that it's this numbered rare print. And then they'd sell that. They can only make money when they create a physical object. Yeah. But there are a lot of barriers with owning physical artwork. I have to go to that Comic-Con convention and like meet the guy in person. He can only, only sell the people who show up. There are online stores, but it's very hard to kind of know you're getting the real, the real McCoy versus if I buy it from the artist directly, right? And in a larger sense, if you're like the fine art community and you buy like a really nice painting, you have to transport it, store it, insure it, verify its authenticity. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's a very expensive to manage to have a lot of physical artwork is very expensive. Yep. And so this is a way to essentially verify a, like in this case, literally a digital artwork digitally. Yeah. 
and you do do additions, right? I mean, I think I saw like it, it's not just one; it, it might be three hundred or. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we 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 set it up the same way the digital prints or the physical prints are done. Yeah, we just call them digital prints. So an artist would create like two hundred and fifty of them. Yeah, and then you can buy one or ten or, or or fifty of them. And one of the big things that we did was we made them uh, the terms non divisible. You can't break it up into smaller pieces. Uh, at the time, pretty much every crypto token or coin, you know, like a, a, you don't need to buy just one Bitcoin. I can buy half a Bitcoin or a quarter of a Bitcoin or point zero zero one Bitcoin. Um, so we made them non divisible because that doesn't make any sense. I'm going to like cut the painting in half, and yeah. then like you know, if I collect all the different pieces over time and it's different pieces, that'd be so, kind of fun. But yeah, and there yeah. are people that have that have done that, but we decided to make them non divisible. So if there's 250 of them, there's 250 whole pieces. And if I wanted to say own 50% of the total piece, then I could buy 125 of them, I guess you could say. Yeah. Um, so you could still kind of have that kind of concept of fractional ownership if you wanted. But it could also be just like, I have one. This is mine. Um, yeah. It, it's, I mean. And, and the artist would decide what that number was. Number is. And that, and that often determines the value. You know, I, I think it, it is interesting. I'm, I try and wrap my head around this. And I don't know how I feel mm-hmm. about all of it. Um, and, and much of it is, is far above my head. But, you know, I, I just think about it. I think about the money side of it, which is, I mean, if you go back, you know, a few hundred years, thousand years, it's like people, they bartered, right? They traded, you know, four apples for a goat. And, and that's how it worked. And then money was introduced and like this physical th- kind of thing that was back, like that was like an insane idea. Like, why am I going to give you a goat for this sort of this piece of metal mm-hmm. that you're telling me has some kind of value, you know? And then you fast forward a couple hundred years and then that's when, you know, credit cards, you know, came to light, which credit cards almost like never happened. And like, I mean, sort of like a banking system in general, which happened a couple hundred years ago. And and basically it became, you know, digital and then online. And then, you know, this, I, I, I get to see how the, this evolution makes sense and how it's hard to wrap your head around. But if you look at history, I mean, technology has continued to change what currency, let's just specifically currency means. Um, and so it's kind of like, okay, I could see how this is the evolution. And I, I hope that crypto art can mean a lot for artists because in a lot of ways, crypto art isn't the first attempt at this. It's not yeah. the first try. I mean, you look back, you know, um, in the early 2000s, MP3s, you know, like music, like a Napster, right? People were, were downloading and copying music endlessly. And then artists, they were, you had Metallica like going on TV saying like, hey, you know, buy our work and, and almost getting like kind of laughed at for it, you know, because everyone was just downloading all the music and there was art, you know, they weren't making money anymore. So then you had the solution to that, which I think works potentially pretty well it, from, for, for the user's perspective, from the consumer's perspective, is things like Apple Music or iTunes or Google Music or Spotify, where I now I, I pay a subscription or I pay for songs and I get my songs. And in a lot of ways that music piracy is disappeared because I want to have the songs on my device. I want to have them streamed. I want to have them accessible so I can use Apple Apple Music for that or Google Music for that. Yeah. The problem is the artist doesn't see much of that revenue. Correct. Large, this is like an open secret. Everyone really knows this. A large percentage of that is taken by the various entities along the way, not just Apple Music in the situation, but all the different steps, they all kind of take their cut. And so now artists mostly make their money touring and merchandising yeah and merchandising so so it didn't, it didn't really solve it for the artists so hopefully crypto art we can solve it for the artists because i'm not in charge i'm not in control of that curio card when i make a curio card for someone when i say that term really all i'm doing is i'm just take, handling the technical side for them it's their card um they can sell it to their their fans directly i don't take any revenue from that 
Hey, everybody. I'd like to pause the episode here for just one second. First and foremost, to give you guys our thanks. We're so appreciative that you guys like what we do and are listening. Uh, We really couldn't do it without you. We love making this podcast, but obviously, you have to be there for us to make it. If you're interested in helping us out a little bit more, if you want to go the extra mile, we would appreciate it so much. And there's two ways that you can help. The first, leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcast. It seems like a little thing. I know everybody's always asking you to do it, but it helps us so much. And more than anything else, it helps people like you find us. So if you find us interesting, other people hopefully do too. The second thing that you can do is let us know what you find interesting. Tell us what you want to hear. Please just reach out to us. Say anything to us. Find us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram at State of the Art. All right. Thanks so much. And back to the podcast. So let's go. Let's talk about this. The, so you said you had 30 cards that you released last year from 30 different artists. Uh, I think it was like uh, seven or eight different artists. Okay. There. Mostly they did sets of three. Uh, people liked the idea of owning a collection. Yeah. yeah. I like I like that. So we really who- ch- changed over time based on feedback. As we did the 30 cards, it actually changed. The first 10 are very different from this last 20. And, and uh, how, how so? Well, the first 10, we actually had the idea was we'd let the users decide how rare something was. Okay. So we actually created 100,000 of every card. And then you had a week to buy it. And at the end of the week, whatever wasn't bought, we would destroy, we'd burn. So if a thousand, like say 500 of the cards been bought, then we'd burn, you know, the, the 900 and, you know, you know, all the, all the others. Sure. So there'd only be 500 in existence, but it's kind of weird because then you had the really popular cards being the ones that were most common. The ones people liked were the ones that were least rare. It's a kind of almost like destroyed, sure. yeah. you know, the, cause you people like having a rare thing. And then the ones that nobody liked actually became got value for being rare uh so sort of a little backwards so we we decided instead the artist can just pick how much there should be so then the first artist that came after that he said well i'll just do two thousand um you know why not let's pick a number and see what happens and they they sold you know a couple hundred of them sold like you know we people were buying cards yeah. but people didn't like that large number so yeah. then after that, somebody did like a hundred cards, like a really small amount. And those were gone in like five minutes. Yeah. I feel like in, like if you just look at photography, it might be something you mm-hmm. can look at. Because photography, I, I feel like generally it's like 50, 100, like maybe, you know, a couple, like mm-hmm. 200. But like you generally wouldn't see something that well, When we started, we weren't even really thinking of these yet necessarily as prints. We were thinking of them as digital. Like we were, we were taking an art show. We were trying to put it online. And it took us right to realize that, that that rarity element of like a print, like, oh, this is like a print. It's like yeah. I'm going to Comic-Con and I'm buying a print from my favorite comic book yeah. artist and there's only 50 of them and I waited in line and I got up early um, to make sure I got it in time. And that that really changed a lot of what we did going after. So that's a good – yeah, in a way what I like there is it's, it's sort of from the technology world learning something of like from the art world that, mm-hmm. that did apply like in a positive way to like help figure this out. And it was a model that maybe we didn't realize because it's not a model that exists online. Uh, when people do sell digital artwork online exist, in an existing way that you don't do it in that print me- method. Yeah. Um, it's usually like a subscription thing or like a Patreon service where you're kind of more donating to artists that you like in exchange for kind of special access. Yeah. What, um, so I like that. What, who were these artists, these seven artists? And I don't mean, I don't need names, mm-hmm. but like, well, a lot of, actually a couple of them are anonymous, uh, which is really oh, cool. two okay, of them that... off the top of my head, two of them are anonymous, which is also really cool. The idea that you can be judged just for your artwork. Um, like there, this, this is a, 
like women artists make less than men artists. Like that's just how it is. Yeah. And so uh, one of our anonymous artists, uh, you know, she didn't, she didn't say who she was and you know, like maybe that affected her sales. Who knows? Um, yeah. Cause people often care about the story, but it really, it really, the idea was, well, maybe it's just about online. Maybe it's about the work and the story of the work. It's sort of like, the story is how many are there and was it a part of a set and when did it come out and what's it about as opposed to the story of the artist, who's the artist, what's their background, who are they? Mm-hmm. The internet doesn't, generally doesn't really care about people as much. They don't really care about names. They don't care about who's the the, the byline. They just care about the article. Uh, that's sort of been something that's very unique to the internet, I think. Yeah. Um, where it really comes down to what you say and how you say it. There's, you know, it's, it's all hidden behind screen names and aliases. So we tried that as well. Uh, our first set of artists, they were well-known crypto artists, and that's artists that do art about Bitcoin. Or I, when I use the word the term Bitcoin, I should explain I'm meaning all cryptocurrencies. I've been in this thing long enough. For back in the day, it just was Bitcoin. That was it. So my my habit is still to say Bitcoin. Yeah, as to kind of define the entire. Well, it's industry. like how podcasts are named after like Apple doing because they were first in category. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, yeah, these artists they did artwork about Bitcoin, about Ethereum, about blockchain, and we had them. But I also wanted to try artists that that didn't have any Bitcoin or Ethereum. They weren't involved at all. And a really interesting kind of side effect happened to that. I was really concerned at first that we could only really tell Bitcoin people about our project. Because there's a technical challenge to understanding it. You have to, you know, it was, it was very new. The wallet was very, you know, hard to manage. You have to know what a wallet is, you know. Like there was too many barriers of understanding to be a participant. And then we tried artists that on the arts. So I was worried like that doesn't be a big issue. And I thought I thought maybe the artists would have to know about this stuff as well. But then we tried artists that never had any Bitcoin, never had any Ethereum. And at the end of it, they walked away with like 600 bucks in Ethereum. And I, I, I talked to some of them now still uh, and... They're like really into, they're really into crypto. You know, they, they bought Bitcoin, they bought Litecoin, like they, they trade, you know, like they're, they suddenly care about this. And I realized, oh, this is actually a really great way to kind of onboard artists into the crypto space. And that was a totally unexpected yeah. outcome. In a lot of ways, the users still have to understand it, but the artists don't necessarily. Like I can help them through that. It's a smaller group in the equation. Got it. Which is another reason why I don't want to charge them either. I mean, I'd much rather, you know, because it's a smaller group in the equation. Yeah. So, so anonymous, you had a couple of artists who were into crypto, a couple who were not. I guess what I'm trying to get is, I mean, there seems like there's a, a strong community element here, even in just like within the crypto world. Um, are artists like, you know, is this, what kind of artists do you think are going to start using this? Is this like f- fine artists who are painters who will like start using it? Is this mm-hmm. digital artists who are like, great, now there's a way to like better monetize my work? Is this sort of bitcoin first artists who are just like they like create all this artwork about bitcoin you know or is this like technologists who are then start creating art i don't know i i use those four categories maybe there's more maybe there's less but i'm just like i'm curious who you see using it and how you've seen it evolve even within the last year i I think you nailed it on the head when you said it's very community-based yeah so i'd say probably the two kinds of groups are going to use this there's artists that they're very community orientated in terms of like how they interact with their fans. Um, not they, they, they're very kind of engaged with their fans, you know, like their fans follow them online. They have, they want to find new ways of interacting with their fans. Um, they have kind of more direct dialogue with their fans. I think that those kinds of people will use it. Cause it's a really kind of a cool way to have your user, your fans interact with you, your collectors kind of interact with the artists and connect with the artists. Cause I, I can cryptographically prove that I own a piece, an artworks card, an artist's mm-hmm. card. 
So you can even have things set up where like, say there's a chat room, the only way to get into the chat room is to own one of the artist's cards. And it's, it's like, it's almost a password. It's like a pass key to get in. And in that room, like there's the artist and I can like talk to them and hang out with them. You know, this is just an example, but I really think that that'll be a big use case. People who want to interact with that community. Um, in a lot of ways, when you look at the price of Bitcoin and you hear about the news, how it's going up, the price is going up because the community is growing. It, it's the value comes from this sort of group agreement. The value is a community-based decision. So um, that, I think that applies exactly the same to art in this space. And if you're coming from the traditional art world and you may not understand how this crypto stuff works, that's a really important thing to know is that the value of your work is going to come from how well you engage with the community of people who own your work. Uh, there's a really great, um, uh, this thing called DJ Pepe, and it's this Pepe card. This, this guy is a DJ. And if you have one of his cards, you get to listen to his live uh, stream, and he's always DJing new music. So uh, I want to have the card long term. It's not like it's something I just get the card, I get that one thing, and then I sell the card. It's an ongoing experience. <laughs> Stuff like that is really important to know. The other side of it is what you said at the end. It's, it's totally going to be uh, crypto. A lot of crypto Bitcoin people are going to be early on as well because mm -hmm. uh, it's um, speaking to that community. The users are mostly from that community. The collectors, I mean, are usually mostly from that community. And that's how you find, I think there's sort of two different people who find out about this space. There are people who come into it from the blockchain side, people who they are really into Bitcoin, they're really into cryptocurrency and they find out about crypto art. And then there's the other side, there's artists who don't know anything about Bitcoin or blockchain and they find out about crypto art. And for them, my, my advice would be, build community and for the crypto people they they you know they're doing it because it's they're speaking to the community you know already that exists already yeah all right i, I like that and the um you know even maybe other applications of not necessarily the crypto art but um blockchain you know artists will start to use like with the provenance and that maybe that's even like a, a, a first oh, yeah. step into then creating uh you know crypto art that's that's what i really like about this this whole industry is I mean, when we got started way back when, I say it's like eight months ago, yeah. right? Like nine months. Like back in the day, it was us and like one other guy or two other guys. Um, now there's half a dozen or a dozen different companies working on it. And I'd be hard pressed to find a lot of overlap in their styles and the way they're approaching it. Uh, like I look at them and, and none of them are doing it necessarily the way that we're doing it. And none of them are really necessarily doing it the way that others are doing it. There's all so many different angles you can come at this. And there's some overlap, but it's, it's actually quite minimal, mm. which is kind of shocking because you think, well, technology is being applied. And it, technology does this one thing, so they're applying it the same way. But you can do it for prominence, you can do it for asset tracking, you can do yeah. it for fractional ownership, you can do it as a way to get around escrow accounts for auctions. Um, there's all sorts of different approaches to this. So if I'm an artist who wants to get involved in this, how can how do I go? What's the easiest way to go about that? Well, I would hope that we're the easiest way right yeah. now. Um, but you only have 30 cards and right. you're releasing we're, more. We're releasing more. And the way the, the, the next set's going to work, like I mentioned before, uh, and it kind of maybe sound like a negative that we curated the first 30. And I, I said that kind of as a very important thing to know, those first 30, like me and, and crypto graffiti and, and Rhett and Tom, like we picked those artists and that doesn't, I, I don't like that. Right. It was mostly because we wanted to focus on the technology. We wanted to focus on building the kind of basic tool yeah. set. Um, and also just exploring the idea. I mean, at the end of the 30, we knew so many new things we didn't know before about how people reacted to this. But with the next 30, it's very important to me that I'm no longer curating. I'm no longer the central authority, right? Bitcoin's all about removing that central trusted authority. So, you know, who the heck am I? So for the next 30, people, the community will vote on what cards get created. So as an artist, you go on the site and there's a, uh, a kind of community forum we have right now. You submit your artwork, you tell people about what it is, 
and then we'll include you in the next vote. So like uh, every couple of weeks or every week, there'll be a vote. And we're gearing up for the first vote right now. And at the end of the vote, whoever, like the top three cards that win, we make them. Mm-hmm. So I'm no longer curating. I, I'm, I'm moderating. You know, if you submit sure. like, something horrible. You but wait, 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 it, but, but that, that's, yeah. even that's not that many. I mean, yeah. well, like. Well, we'll, we'll grow that over time. Is, is that yeah. the idea? And you want to be, you want to be the platform that maybe any artist who wants to create crypto art could go to and create their own crypto Especially, art. Especially, I, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say any artist that doesn't know anything, doesn't know a whole lot about how crypto art works, doesn't really know how Bitcoin and Ethereum works, yeah. they can come to us. Okay. There are platforms out there where if you already understand how Ethereum works, if you already understand Bitcoin, if you already have Ethereum, yeah. you can essentially just create your own uh, objects. Uh, yeah. You can just kind of put Ethereum in, you can pay for the creation. I mean, the Is this like that, that artist using- who created Bitcoin? Do you know about this? Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, but that was more of her own coin. It wasn't an mm-hmm. object that was But there's art. also like Tatiana coin. Tatiana Ross is a musician and she yeah. created her own coin. Um, so is that the same thing as creating an object? I mean, an object yeah. could be a coin or this an This is all open source software. The yeah. code that I use to create a curio card is all open source okay, software. Okay, so you want this to be the, the first step that mm-hmm. artists go to kind of like learn, dip their toe in the right. water. I want to be the educational hub. I want people to kind of help them understand sure. how it works. And then from there, they can create their own, they can create their own digital work and they can go outside of the rules rules of how our structure is set up and they can just go wild with it and try new things and explore and create their own coins. Yeah. And hopefully the tools to do that get continue to get easier and easier. Right now it's not so easy, okay. but I, I definitely see in a couple of years it getting very easy to just kind of go and make your own. That's great. So, okay, let's talk about the other side, like from a, from a collector perspective. I mean, mm-hmm. artwork is something that is often meant to be, you know, enjoyed and seen and viewed. I mean, how, how does that work? How do I see my right. artwork? Yeah, I mean, um, traditional art collection, you buy a cool painting, you put it on your wall, and yeah. you say, hey, look at this, this cool painting I have. And that's not really something that everybody can do. Um, a lot of people can, but not everyone can do. You have to uh, you know, transport the art, own it, insure it, et cetera. It's, it's a bit more, there's a high, higher cost of entry to that. On the lower end, I can go to like Comic-Con and buy a print and like frame it or put it in a book and like, yeah. show it to people. Or I can buy a poster somewhere. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So you can still do it low, low barrier entry, which is excellent. Yeah. But it's it's a very physical experience. I show it to my friends directly or like a binder full of Pokemon cards, right? And I say, look at, how, look at my awesome collection. Look how rare this card is that I own. Um, I like the idea of, think of it that way. Think of it like a binder full of Pokemon cards, only I can share it on Facebook, on Twitter, on, I can, I can share it digitally and people click through to my collection and it's cryptographically verified that I own those. Like if you look at my collection online, I'm not BSing you. You can tell mathematically. I mean, it happens all automatically. You don't have to do the, do the sure. number yourself, but it's all verified that this is their collection. And so I can't BS online, which is, you know, what the internet's for, right? It's just sort of making stuff up. But if I say, this is, look at my collection, look what I own. I I can't lie about that. It's yeah. Like, oh yeah. I, I verify that he does own these actual pieces. So I like they did it just opening up the process of sharing to the entire internet, which mm-hmm. is how we communicate and share right now anyways. Yeah. But, but if I have this really cool artwork that I want in my home, I mean, is there any way to do that? Like, have you thought about some of these digital displays? Oh yeah, totally. There's a really cool company called Mural. Yeah. There's one right there. Oh, that's a mur- oh! Look at that. Yeah, see, I didn't even notice that you have this on the wall. I didn't even notice that that was a mural at first. I just thought it was an actual print because the quality is so incredible. So, yeah, it's so incredible. And and mural, you can swipe your hand in front of it, and information pops up, yep. and you could swipe your hand and say like a little, a little QR code, which is you know, uh, just a way of kind of encoding information. And you can take your your phone out and have like it's like a authenticator app on it, and I can scan the QR code and say yes, you actually own this. It's not just you uploaded the image into your into your mural. 
I can actually so verify. So are you talking to them? Is this happening now? No, I, I, I don't think that, um, I met them at Rare AF. Rare, okay. um, but I mean, are you, thinking, are you thinking like, I think you- this will totally happen. I, I think the easiest way to do it is I just print it out and put it on my wall and put that QR code in the corner. Yeah. There's a necessary component for this to work and that's the app. But once we have like a Curio mobile app, then yeah. you can have that verification option. Yeah. And then I could kind of print a verification QR code or put it into Mural itself. And then I could, I could verify that, that the physical piece isn't a reproduction, but it's an actual, it's actually owned by you. Yeah. You because own. I mean, that would be like, you know, the art I, I've looked at the Curacons, like they, they're cool. Like I would, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. I get sharing it online and on social, but it is something that I'd like to look at, you know, on my wall. Totally. There, there's no reason against that. It just takes time to build the tools. I think the, the only barrier to that is like uh, the verification system. Uh, and right now you can do that if like you pulled your laptop out, right? But you want to do it on your phone. You know, yeah. if there's a piece on the wall, I want to just go click and say, oh, wow, that's neat. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So that, that, that's reaffirming. What, um, what's the future? Like this is moving really fast. Yeah. It sounds like, I mean, what are you, what are you thinking about doing at Curio? What are other people thinking about doing? What are you seeing? What, what do you think will be in, I mean, pick a time frame, maybe just the next year, maybe the well, next five years. I, I should start by saying, um, any artists listening out there that there's this really kind of weird thing happening with the crypto art space and that, uh, Bitcoin, you know, cryptocurrency, like we need artists. It's, it's very important to us that we get artists. I mean, this is my personal belief that the Bitcoin needs artists. Uh, Bitcoin was often described. Its main number one issue is it's a user interface problem. It's too complicated. It's too hard to understand, you know, like a Bitcoin address. If you ever looked at one, it's just this big, long string of alphanumeric characters. It's very complicated. I think it's not just a user interface experience issue. I think it's almost like a cultural issue of how we explain and define that. And artists, that's what they do. They help explain and define and figure out and discover how an eco- how something works and what it is. Uh, there are a lot of subgroups out there with extremely complex rules of etiquette, and everybody understands them just fine because there's been songs and paintings and movies and all these things about how they work and what they are and what the rules of etiquette are in that system. So there's this really great quote um, our, uh, artgnome.com, uh, Jason Bailey, he's uh, an art blogger who's recently started covering crypto art. And he has this quote at the end of his article where he says, when was the last time, where he says, when was the last time you saw a bunch of well-paid um, tech savvy people all quit their jobs to go compete for the attention of artists? This has never happened before. So I think the future here is that that artists are, it's a very valuable you know, and very important member of the community. Like, um, this, this technology works extremely well with what it is that you do. And we're all really excited to try that and experiment with that. And I think that's, when you look to the future, the important thing to remember is that idea to experiment. This is what artists do so well. That's why we need them. I, if you ask me like, what is crypto art? And I like defined it and laid it out. I, I don't know. I mean, when I did the first 30 on card one, I thought I maybe had an idea. And by the 30th card, I was like, oh, wow, I was totally wrong. And same things can happen with the next 30. And that's just the cards. There's 20 different ways you can apply this technology and use it. And it's very, very important, I think, that we maintain that sort of culture of experimentation. I think it's really important that we don't come out with companies that say, this is what I'm making. It works this way, very specifically, and that's all we're going to do. I think it's very important we keep trying things and experimenting and, tr- and, and, and go from there. That's exciting. Mm-hmm. I love it. Well, this has been, I mean, I've taken a million notes here. This has been <laughs> very educational. Um, before I let you go... Thank you. And and I want to do a quick rapid fire. Okay. Can we do that? Yeah. All right. You mentioned Pokemon earlier. <laughs> Which Pokemon is the best? Oh, Mewtwo. Mewtwo. Okay. 
What were your favorite collectibles growing up as a kid? <laughs> uh, I actually uh, had some coins that I kind of inherited from some somebody else. I really liked the collectible coins. Okay. And if you had one superpower, what would it be and why? Oh, uh, immortality. You want to stick around and see what's going to happen. <sighs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Travis. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you so much, Ethan. As always, listeners, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of State of the Art. We wanted to pull that out of the archives, a super interesting episode, really relevant for some of the things going on in the art world today. So we, we wish Travis all the luck. Thank you so much to Ethan for recording that episode. And if you want to find out a little bit more about Travis or Curio Cards, be sure to follow him on Twitter at Travis for Mayor. That's right, Travis for Mayor. I'm sure there's a story behind that. And if you want to get involved in learning more about uh, Bitcoin in the San Francisco scene, if you're in the Bay Area, please check out the San Francisco Bitcoin Meetup. Uh, the easiest way to follow them is on Twitter as well at SFBTC Meetup. As always, listeners, if you like this episode or if you like what we're doing here at State of the Art, the best thing you can do to help us is leave a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. We love you so much when you do that. Thank you so much. This has been another episode of State of the Art. Thank you so much.